Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Parallel Lives of the Noble Greeks and Romans by Lucius Maestrius Plutarchus. Translated by Bernadette Perrin. Caesar. Chapter 58. As for the nobles, to some of them he promised consulships and praetorships in the future. Others he appeased with sundry other powers and honors, and in all he implanted hopes, since he ardently desired to rule over willing subjects. Therefore, when Maximus the consul died, he appointed Caninius Ravilius consul, for the one day still remaining of the term of office, to him, as we are told, many were going with congratulations and offers of escort, whereupon Cicero said, Let us make haste, or else the man's consulship will have expired. Caesar's many successes, however, did not divert his natural spirit of enterprise and ambition to the enjoyment of what he had laboriously achieved, but served as fuel and incentive for future achievements and begat in him plans for greater deeds and a passion for fresh glory, as though he had used up what he already had. What he felt was therefore nothing else than emulation of himself, as if he had been another man, and a sort of rivalry between what he had done and what he purposed to do. For he planned and prepared to make an expedition against the Parthians, and after subduing these and marching around the Euxine by way of Hyrcania, the Caspian Sea, and the Caucasus, to invade Scythia, and after overrunning the countries bordering on Germany and Germany itself, to come back by way of Gaul to Italy, and so to complete this circuit of his empire, which would then be bounded on all sides by the ocean." During this expedition, moreover, he intended to dig through the Isthmus of Corinth, and had already put Aeneas in charge of this work. He intended also to divert the Tiber just below the city into a deep channel, give it a bend towards Circium, and make it empty into the sea at Terracina, thus contriving for merchantmen a safe as well as an easy passage to Rome. And besides this, to convert the marshes about Pomentinum and Satia into a plain which many thousands of men could cultivate, and farther, to build moles which should barricade the sea where it was nearest to Rome, to clear away the hidden dangers on the shore of Ostia, and then construct harbors and roadsteads sufficient for the great fleets that would visit them. And all these things were in preparation. Chapter 59. The adjustment of the calendar, however, and the correction of the irregularity in the computation of time, were not only studied scientifically by him, but also brought to completion, and proved to be of the highest utility, for not only in very ancient times was the relation of the lunar to the solar year in great confusion among the Romans, so that the sacrificial feasts and festivals, diverging gradually, at last fell in opposite seasons of the year." But also, at this time, people generally had no way of computing the actual solar year. Footnote. At this time, the Roman calendar was more than two months ahead of the solar year. Caesar's reform went into effect in 46 BC. End footnote. The priests alone knew the proper time, and would suddenly, and to everybody's surprise, insert the intercalary month called Mercedonius. 
Numa, the king, is said to have been the first to intercalate this month, thus devising a slight and short-lived remedy for the error in regard to the sidereal and solar cycles, as I have said in his life. But Caesar laid the problem before the best philosophers and mathematicians, and out of the methods of correction which were already at hand, compounded one of his own, which was more accurate than any. This the Romans used down to the present time, and are thought to be less in error than other peoples as regards the inequality between the lunar and solar years. However, even this furnished occasion for blame to those who envied Caesar and disliked his power. At any rate, Cicero the orator, we are told, when someone remarked that Lyra would rise on the morrow, said, Yes, by decree, implying that men were compelled to accept even this dispensation. Chapter 60 But the most open and deadly hatred towards him was produced by his passion for the royal power. For the multitude, this was the first cause of hatred, and for those who had long smothered their hate, a most specious pretext for it. And yet those who were advocating this honor for Caesar actually spread abroad among the people a report that from the Sibylline books it appeared that Parthia could be taken if the Romans went up against it with a king, but otherwise could not be assailed. And as Caesar was coming down from Alba into the city, they ventured to hail him as a king. But at this the people were confounded, and Caesar, disturbed in mind, said that his name was not King, but Caesar. And seeing that his words produced a universal silence, he passed on with no very cheerful or contented looks. Moreover, after sundry extravagant honors had been voted him in the Senate, it chanced that he was sitting above the rostra, and as the praetors and consuls drew near, with the whole Senate following them, he did not rise to receive them, but as if he were dealing with mere private persons, replied that his honors needed curtailment rather than enlargement. This vexed not only the Senate, but also the people who felt that in the persons of the senators the state was insulted. And in a terrible dejection they went away at once, all who were not obliged to remain, so that Caesar too, when he was aware of his mistake, immediately turned to go home, and drawing back his toga from his neck, cried in loud tones to his friends that he was ready to offer his throat to any one who wished to kill him. But afterwards he made his disease an excuse for his behavior, saying that the senses of those who are thus afflicted do not usually remain steady when they address a multitude standing, but are speedily shaken and whirled about, bringing on giddiness and insensibility. However, what he said was not true. On the contrary, he was very desirous of rising to receive the Senate, but one of his friends, as they say, or rather one of his flatterers, Cornelius Balbus, restrained him, saying, Remember that thou art Caesar, and permit thyself to be courted as a superior. Chapter 61 There was added to these causes of offense his insult to the tribunes. It was, namely, the festival of the Lupercalia, of which many write that it was anciently celebrated by shepherds, and has also some connection to the Arcadian Lycia. 
At this time many of the noble youths and of the magistrates ran up and down through the city naked for sport and laughter, striking those they meet with shaggy thongs. And many women of rank also purposely get in their way, and like children at school present their hands to be struck, believing that the pregnant will thus be helped to an easy delivery, and the barren to pregnancy. These ceremonies Caesar was witnessing, seated upon the rostra, on a golden throne, arrayed in triumphal attire, and Antony was one of the runners in the sacred race, for he was consul. Accordingly, after he had dashed into the forum and the crowd had made way for him, he carried a diadem, round which a wreath of laurel was tied, and held it out to Caesar. Then there was applause, not loud, but slight and preconcerted. But when Caesar pushed away the diadem, all the people applauded, and when Antony offered it again, few, and when Caesar declined it again, all applauded. The experiment having thus failed, Caesar rose from his seat after ordering the wreath to be carried up to the capital. but then his statues were seen to have been decked with royal diadems. So two of the tribunes, Flavius and Marillus, went up to them and pulled off the diadems, and after discovering those who had first hailed Caesar as king, led them off to prison. Moreover, the people followed the tribunes with applause, and called them Brutuses, because Brutus was the man who put an end to the royal succession, and brought the power into the hands of the senate and people instead of a sole ruler. At this Caesar was greatly vexed, and deprived Marillus and Flavius of their office, while in his denunciation of them, although he at the same time insulted the people, he called them repeatedly brutes and simians. Chapter 62 Under these circumstances, the multitude turned their thoughts towards Marcus Brutus, who was thought to be a descendant of the elder Brutus on his father's side. On his mother's side belonged to the Servilii, another illustrious house, and was a son-in-law and nephew of Cato. The desires which Brutus felt to attempt of his own accord the abolition of the monarchy were blunted by the favors and honors that he had received from Caesar, for not only had his life been spared at Pharsalus after Pompey's flight, and the lives of many of his friends at his entreaty, but also he had great credit with Caesar. He had received the most honorable of the praetorships for the current year, and was to be consul three years later, having been preferred to Cassius, who was a rival candidate. For Caesar, as we are told, said that Cassius urged the juster claims to the office, but that for his own part he could not pass Brutus by. Once, too, when certain persons were actually accusing Brutus to him, the conspiracy being already on foot, Caesar would not heed them, but laying his hand upon his body, said to the accusers, Brutus will wait for this shriveled skin, implying that Brutus was worthy to rule because of his virtue, but that for the sake of ruling he would not become a thankless villain. Those, however, who were eager for the change, and fixed their eyes on Brutus alone, or on him first, did not venture to talk with him directly, but by night they covered his praetorial tribune and chair with writings, most of which were of this sort. Thou art asleep, Brutus. 
or Thou art not Brutus. When Cassius perceived that the ambition of Brutus was somewhat stirred by these things, he was more urgent with him than before, and pricked him on, having himself also some private grounds for hating Caesar. These I have mentioned in the life of Brutus. Moreover, Caesar actually suspected him, so that he once said to his friends, What, think ye, doth Cassius want? I like him not overmuch, for he is much too pale. And again we are told that when Antony and Dolabella were accused to him of plotting revolution, Caesar said, I am not much in fear of these fat, long-haired fellows, but rather of those pale, thin ones, meaning Brutus and Cassius. Chapter 63 But destiny, it would seem, is not so much unexpected as it is unavoidable, since they say that amazing signs and apparitions were seen. Now, as for lights in the heavens, crashing sounds borne all about by night, and birds of omen coming down into the forum, it is perhaps not worth while to mention these precursors of so great an event. But Strabo the philosopher says that multitudes of men all on fire were seen rushing up, and a soldier's slave threw from his hand a copious flame, and seemed to the spectators to be burning. But when the flame ceased, the man was uninjured. He says, moreover, that when Caesar himself was sacrificing, the heart of the victim was not to be found, and the prodigy caused fear, since in the course of nature certainly an animal without a heart could not exist. The following story, too, is told by many. A certain seer warned Caesar to be on his guard against a great peril on the day of the month of March, which the Romans call the Ides. And when the day had come and Caesar was on his way to the Senate house, he greeted the seer with a jest and said, Well, the Ides of March are come. And the seer said to him softly, Aye, they are come, but they are not gone. Moreover, on the day before, when Marcus Lepidus was entertaining him at supper, Caesar chanced to be signing letters, as his custom was, while reclining at table, and the discourse turned suddenly upon the question of what sort of death was the best. Before anyone else could answer, Caesar cried out, That which is unexpected, 